Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and him, the beast from the east of Sussex, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, with all the um, short pods we did over Christmas, I can't remember whether we said Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, have a lovely Easter, welcome to Vaccination Day. I'm not entirely sure where I am. The only thing I do know is that uh, two middle-aged men shouldn't have taken a 10-day break from the from the equipment because I had to get Ali in to help me remind me how to work it. <laughs> Yeah, I've realised that the recording this this podcast was the only constant in my life in 2020, and trying to work out the day of the week during between Christmas and New Year was was an impossible task, uh, far be, far beyond me. And I was just kept looking at my watch and getting very dazed and confused on a regular basis. Yeah, you haven't even got alcohol to as an excuse for that. And also, <clears throat> I'll let I'll let the listeners into a little secret here, Kieran. That was our fourth restart. For various technical reasons, which is why you didn't last. You didn't laugh at the beast from the east joke. The first two times you thought the beast from the east of Sussex was very funny, but second, also this is a happy time of year for you, Kieran. Whereas, whereas I'm Mister Christmas and I get very upset when it's over. You can't wait for it to finish, can you? You big old Grinch. No, I am. I am right misery guts over yeah. Christmas, M- mainly because it always coincides with me marking exams. So I, I've I worked every single day, including Christmas Day. Uh, so everybody else is having a great time, <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, "Oh, this is a pile of shite that I'm marking here. Oh, this one's good." Ah, Grumbling away, being very, 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 uh, very bad tempered indeed. Yeah, Kieran, as a, as an ex employee of the London Ambulance Service, I feel bound to point out that marking exams just hardly makes you the fourth emergency service, Kieran. Come <laughs> now, <laughs> you're in, you're warm and dry. You're sitting by your lovely log fire, tucking into your pheasant, while the Baroness. Darned your Christmas jumper. As I, I've got a very fixed image of what Christmas is like in your house. <laughs> um, now, for all those of you who complained, by the way, about our bite-sized pod over the holidays, like and they the, did, didn't they? I was they, amazed. Yes, they did. Which I'm, I'm, I'm taking to believe that they missed us rather than they thought that we were lazy sods who couldn't be asked to, <laughs> to get up on Christmas Day and do a pod for them all. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, so, but don't worry, you've got a big dinner coming up today. You've got a big post-Christmas dinner because it's it's Questions Day, I believe. Uh, it will take me a couple of weeks to get back into the routine. But there are, of course, some news stories to catch up on. And the first one is almost the last story we spoke about um, just before Christmas. And um, It's a Happy New Year for lawyers in Madrid, Kieran. Uh, it is, yes. This this relates to uh, Kieran Trippier, who mm. was given a, a significant ban by the, the English Football Association with regards to uh, gambling issues. Now, whether it's the release of information to betting companies, but he, he's, he clearly, as far as the FA were concerned, he, he breached some of the rules. He was given a, 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 around about a 10-week ban, which I think covered 12 games, which is pretty severe. Mm. And that's global. Um, so it impacted upon his ability to play for Atletico. Um, but Atletico, clearly very unhappy about this. And they have uh, they've managed to get an injunction from FIFA. So presumably they've, the lawyers will be charging double or treble time over Christmas, um, have managed to persuade FIFA to, to go along with this. And it's going to eventually be decided by the Court for Arbitration for Sport. So Kieran Tripp, yeah, yeah, excellent player, as, as I think everybody knows, mm. uh, has, has made a very good impact at Madrid. And uh, they've got some big, big matches coming up. Yeah, they've, uh, For example, the, uh, I think they've got Chelsea in the next round of the, the Champions League, some uh, some fairly significant matches in, in La Liga as well. And, and they don't want to lose him. So that They feel that he's been harshly treated. So... Uh, this one's going to uh, run and run for a while. How long it will take the court for arbitration for sport to get around to judging this, we're not sure. Um, normally, they prioritise what they consider to be 
big, big cases. And, and that's why the, the Manchester City case was, was dealt with relatively quickly last year. But I think this one will be, be less significant to them. Um, and I would always encourage people to, to take a look at their website. It is, it is fascinating if, you, if you're interested in this. And they go across the whole range of sports. Um, so whether Trippier will be high, high on the list of priorities, I'm not so sure. I, I can sort of see the logic from Atletico Madrid in, in insisting that if the English FA want to ban Kieran Trippier, then it should be from English football and any ban should take place as and when he goes back to an English club. And it would be a typically Palace thing to do to sign a player who had a 12-week ban coming up. But I, I, I presume that would be the basis of their, their injunction, really, that, they, that Atletico Madrid and the Spanish FA have taken no action, have not investigated him. So why should he be banned from Spanish football? I think I think it'll be a contributory factor that they might also believe that he was harshly treated by the English FA and not given a fair hearing, given that the uh, the adjudication would have taken place over Zoom and uh, you know perhaps they weren't allowed to get as involved with the, the defence of their employee, their player, uh, as much as they they wished to. Yeah, and as we've learned this morning, Kieran, if that adjudication was taking place over Zoom. With two middle-aged men, it could have been chaos. <laughs> they could have completely banned the wrong player, couldn't they? Um, late Christmas presents for Christmas presents. That's, that's see, that's how I think of it, Kieran. Christmas present. Late Christmas presents for Burnley fans and Sunderland fans. Well, certainly for Burnley fans, the the takeover from AL Capital has gone through. Uh, it, it's uh, it, I think it's cost them around about two hundred million pounds. Um, and to show you sort of an indication of, of inflation in football, Liverpool were acquired for three hundred million wow. um, only a decade ago, uh, and, and no disrespect for, for Burnley, but uh, you know I think, I think Liverpool are probably worth more than one and a half times the, of, of Burnley's value. Um, in, in my view, Burnley are probably the best run club financially in mm. the Premier League. So, so the good news for their new owners is that in terms of issues such as financial fair play, they've got huge amounts of wiggle room because Burnley make uh, make a profit um, every year and therefore, in theory, they, they can spend as much money as they want. However, I mean, this, this company, ALK Capital, these are American investors and they will be looking for a return on their investment and that return presumably will be financially. Um, Burnley have probably suffered a little bit less than most of the clubs in the Premier League um, due to COVID because they've got the ground with, I think it's uh, the, the smallest capacity. I think Turf Moor is, yeah. is around about 21,500. Also, um, you know, it, it's not a hugely wealthy area, so uh, the club have always priced tickets at, the, you know, at, at reasonable levels to make them affordable to, to the local fan base. So they don't generate a lot of money coming in. It's only, it's only about 4.5% of their total comes through the turnstiles. So the new owners, uh, you know, no, no clubs having a good time at present mm. due to COVID. But compared to many industries, um, I think football in the Premier League is, is less worse off than others. Um, what, what was also interesting yesterday, and by yesterday I, I mean the, I think that would be the 2nd of January, um, was it looks as if the new owners have got some form of borrowing arrangement with Michael Dell's company, MSD Holdings. Now, they've also lent to Derby and Southampton that they appear to be trying to build themselves a profile in English football uh, in terms of, of lending to football clubs. And, and as we've said before, um, traditional banks are a bit loath to get involved with football because... If, if they do lend and they ask for the money back at some point and the football club can't afford it, uh, it, it can make the local branch manager very unpopular in the <laughs> town or city. Yeah, Kieran, can I just um, interrupt you there just to point out that you got eight minutes and 21 seconds into the new year before mentioning Derby. So <laughs> somebody's won a lot of money on going early. Now, you, you mentioned before we move on to Sunderland, you, you mentioned this financial fair play wiggle room. Um, for Burnley, would that have come as a pleasant surprise for the new owners, or would they have been looking for a Premier League club that had the potential for them to spend big without breaching any rules? Um, it, it would have been a consideration when they were deciding how much money a to to spend buying the club, um, and b in terms of setting a budget for Sean Dyche in January. Um, 
it could be that this relationship they've now got with MSD Holdings is effectively the transfer kitty for Sean Dyche for for the the upcoming window. You know, Burnley. Um, yeah, they are in the bottom six. They've only scored nine goals in their first fifteen games, so I, I think there there is room for change. Uh, they certainly didn't spend any money in in the last transfer window, so the, the capacity is there. Um, and I'm and I'm sure that they that they would have much preferred to be in that position mm. to acquiring a club where they would have to sell before they could buy. So they're in a, they're in a a very flexible position. Uh, in terms of, of their capabilities. so th- th- And they're certainly further down the road than Sunderland, because although um, my understanding is that it's Sunderland have agreed in principle to to sell to um, this, this guy based in Monaco, but he's not yet passed the owners and directors tests. And, and that has dragged on on occasions mm. in, in respect of EFL takeovers. Yeah, this, this is the guy that's only 22, I believe, the front man for this consortium. Is that right? That's right. He, he's uh, is it Kirill Dreyfus or something of that nature? Um, I, I think he, he comes from a very wealthy family. Um, I, th- I think his family have formerly owned clubs in in France, um, and, and he now wants to get involved. You know, Sunderland. You, you you can't get more of a sleeping giant in the lower leagues than that mm. club. So again, there, there is scope to to do things. Although he will be taking over a club which has the the challenges of the, uh, the the salary cap that you have uh, in League One. So um, if, if he does manage to get this over the line in the next couple of weeks, it's it's good news, I think. The, uh, the Stuart Donald uh, ownership ha- has turned toxic, um, but it won't be a case of you know th- those those Mbappé to, to Wearside uh, rumours. I think they will have to uh, be put on hold just yet because they will be restricted by uh, by, by the salary cap. Uh, you know what football fans are like. They'll still they'll still go with the rumours. Just just briefly on Burnley, you, you mentioned um, uh, transfer funds for Sean Dyche. You're fairly convinced that Sean Dyche is conditional in this takeover. That he's they they very keen for him to stay, which is slightly unusual, isn't it, in a multi million pound takeover? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Sean, Sean Dyche within football. Uh, I I do work for the LMA and and, and other bits and bobs within football itself. Um, he is held in, in huge regard, uh, which, and I don't think he necessarily gets the credit that he deserves mm. from from football fans because yeah. his accent is is buzz cut, is is thick set, um, but he's very articulate. He is actually very progressive in in terms of um, his, his coaching manner and style, um, and. Uh, I, I don't think that the new owners want to upset the apple cart. So they were very keen that, that Sean Dyche was reassured that this this takeover uh, does not put his position into question. He also has the firmest handshake in football. I can testify that, and a very a very piercing gla- uh, very piercing gaze, uh, which makes you really makes you make sure that your questions are interesting ones before you ask them. Um, you're talking to wealthy families, Chelsea have put out their latest figures, Kieran. I imagine that was you tucked under the spreadsheet by the cosy fire with the chestnuts over Christmas, wasn't it? Well, I, I, when, when I saw the, the 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 announcement, which came out at five five p.m. on New Year's Eve, I thought that's it. Yeah, that, that's my New Year's party sorted. Um, I got I got quite giddy, but it didn't turn out to be quite as it was meant to be because. They didn't actually publish their accounts. Instead, they stuck out a one-page press release. Now, now what what you get here is a, is a selective figures. It's a you know it, it's it's a greatest hits version. So they said, well, revenues down forty million pounds, and, and they broke that down, and yeah, that's broadly what you'd expect. Um, and then they said, oh, but but we've made a profit of thirty two million quid, and you're thinking, well, oh, Christ, that's impressive because. Spurs have made a loss and Manchester United have made a loss. But, and I know this is me being very fussy, they've not defined the word profit. And Ah. the thing is, if you ask an accountant what is profit, that they normally sort of pull down the blinds, screen the room and and say, well, well, what do you want it to be? (laughs) There are are seven or eight different definitions of profit. Yeah. 
Uh, so I, I went into Chelsea's 2019 accounts and, and into the small print there. And yes, if they've made a £32 million profit from, from day-to-day activities, that's great. But in the 2019 figures, one of the last things they said, oh, by the way, we've sold £115 million worth of players in 2020. Now, if that's all profit, it, it means actually sort of on an operational level, it's been a really tough year for them. Now, you know, Chelsea are very, very smart when it comes to player sales. Um, you know, people people always point to the amount of money that Abramovich spends on players, but in each of the last five seasons, I think they've had the the highest uh, the highest sales income from mm-hmm. player sales. So they do have a very interesting business model, but and that's partly due to the fact that uh, Stamford Bridge has got low capacity. If, if you compare it to the rest of the big six. You've got Manchester United, 76,000. Liverpool are now 54. They want to go to 60. You've got City at mid-50s. And you've got Spurs and Arsenal at, at over 60,000. Stamford Bridge has only got 40,000, 41,000 capacity. And therefore, they need to sell players to make up that shortfall. But they are very smart at it. Mm. And also, Kieran, with the new numbers, is the Football Association of Ireland. Yes. Now, the the one thing that I did get very excited about over Christmas was I was uh, the Baroness kindly got me a book called Champagne Football, which mm. is all about the the reign of terror mm. of the the former uh, chief of Irish football, John Delaney. Um, and, and if if you're in, and even if you're not interested in Irish football, this is an absolutely fascinating read. It's I'd say it's almost as good as your book, Kevin. Yeah, and that's high, high that's, that's a pretty high watermark. Um, but, uh, yeah, looking at, at, uh, Irish football, um, and, and this, this is, these are the figures for 2019. So this is pre COVID. They're losing a hundred thousand a week, wow. um, which, which isn't good pre COVID. They've had to go to FIFA to borrow money. They've had to go to the Irish government to borrow money. Um, there are huge issues in terms of this guy, John Delaney. I, mm. I think they, they agreed a final settlement for him. Um, by sticking about €350,000 into his pension pot. Um, And and there's various things which have come out uh, in terms of the unusual relationship the the FAI, the Football Association of Ireland, have with FIFA. Um, I'm I'm sure you you, you can remember the the infamous Thierry Henry handball issue, where he effectively turned into a basketball player Mm -hmm. in the playoffs. I think this was 2010. Mm -hmm. And the Irish Irish FA threatened to uh, take FIFA to court over this, and that potentially would have delayed... The uh, I think it was the World Cup yeah. um, in in 2012, um, or sorry, the 2010. 2010. Uh, yeah. And they they played hardball, and it turns out that FIFA um, gave them a mysterious five million dollar loan, um, which then FIFA decided to write off. Now you know it's a bit like your bank manager phoning you up, Kevin, and say, "Yeah, by the way." Don't worry about the credit cards. Don't worry about the mortgage. We're just going to write it off. You know, um, and this this is indicative of how uh, clandestine some of the activities of the rulers of football are. That you know, we're talking huge sums of money uh, exchanging hands and then just mysteriously being written off in such a way. It does make you feel more and more uncomfortable about the governance of the game globally. Mm. It. it- it's a nice parallel with my bank manager, Kieran, but my, my bank manager tends to get changed every three months because they don't think it's fair that anybody should have to look after me for more than three months. <laughs> um, like so many of our forebears, Kieran, let's cross the sea from Ireland to the USA. Uh, oh, very good. I feel a song coming on. Um, <laughs> the MLS has told the Players Association it will invoke a force majeure clause as it tries to reduce wages. Now, force majeure is also how insurers get out of paying things, isn't it? Yes, force majeure is um, where you say that there are extraordinary events or circumstances which allows one of the parties to alter their contractual commitments. And the thing about uh, the MLS, and it's, it's alien to us here in the UK, is that there's a collective bargaining agreement between the players' union and the owners. 
So, you know, we've seen here, we've got the PFA, but they don't act on concert. You know, they they, they don't advise, they don't organise wages on an individual basis for players. They, they they simply sort of, you know, they look after sort of the general issues. Um, but in, in the US, what happened was when COVID originally arrived, the the MLSPA, the, the, the Players Association, they agreed for a, a effectively a global 7.5% pay cut for all of their players. Mm. They had all of the bonuses capped and, you know, it was – then they had this this restart. The owners say we've lost so much money that that seven and a half percent pay cut isn't enough, and they're trying to invoke this force majeure clause um, to put through further um, pay cuts. So this has uh, ended up. In, we we now got a confrontational position uh, between the players' association and the club owners. Um, and under these circumstances, of course, the only winners will be the lawyers. Mm. It's difficult to compare, Kieran, but I'm guessing MLS wages would be a lot less than Premier League wages, for example. Yes, they, they are. They are significantly lower, although there are um, sort of effectively you've got a, a wage cap, mm. but there are exceptions for star players. So when David Beckham went across to uh, LA. Uh, it was LA Galaxy he played for. Yeah. Um, then they were able to invoke. Well, his his wages don't count towards the overall wage cap and things of this nature. Uh, but in yeah, in general, the wages that um, they're certainly not at Premier League level. Um, I suspect they're not even at Championship level. But yeah, you know, they're they're for for if you compare that to continental Europe, it, it'd still be appealing for for yeah, some of, of the smaller countries yeah. for players to go there. Although. Um, there are quite strict restrictions uh, in terms of uh, whether you qualify to go to the MLS or not, because they want they want to develop uh, local talent. Yeah, on a similar note, Kieran, our last news story uh, probably won't come as news to many people. Uh, Cardiff manager Neil Harris says that a number of EFL clubs are struggling to pay wages. Yes, uh, you know, I think uh, Neil's had a bit of a, uh, a rough time recently at Cardiff in terms of results. And uh, so therefore, of course, you get asked the questions, are you going to be spending lots of money in January? And he says, well, hold on, you know, the focus of clubs, um, especially in the championship, because remember, in the championship, they've not agreed a wage cap. Yeah. Um, it is that some clubs are in that division are struggling to pay wages. He was sort of inferring that, Perhaps at some clubs, full wages haven't been paid. Of course, we have seen the situation at Sheffield Wednesday where they capped the wages at £7,000. Uh, I think it was £7,000 a month for their squad. Um, there were there have been delays. Uh, the owner of Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Delphon Chansiri, he said that the, the most recent wages now have been fully paid. Uh, but he was inferring, uh, and, and you know, and hats off to him for for, for being honest that he, he can't make that guarantee in the future. And I, but that's that's the case, I think, for all the owners in the championship. Yeah. They've got no money coming in through the turnstiles. Um, yes, they have had advances. Uh, there is an arrangement with the Premier League, but that's to focus on PAYE and national insurance. Um, so it's it's indicative of, of how tough things are. I mean. I'm personally amazed that we've we've got this far with so few clubs mm. uh, having to uh, uh, you know or, or manage, managing to pay the wages in full unless these things are going under the radar and and the players don't want to articulate exactly what's happening. Yeah, um, God willing, with the vaccine, it'll only be two or three months before we begin to find out the truth and hopefully wages will start to be paid. I do like it when a manager like Neil Harris plays diversionary tactics. So it's like when Sam Allardyce, his first statement after West Brom lost 5-0 at home to Leeds was, we need a COVID firebreak. And it's like, have any of your players out with COVID? That's beside the point. We, what we need is a two-week firebreak where I can get some training into my players. Now, yeah, he's, he's 66. He's saying, "We, well, I'm, I'm 66. I'm worried about catching COVID. And, and that's that's perfectly understandable. 
But if you're 66, then you don't accept a job on the 16th of December whilst COVID cases are increasing. So as you say, classic Sam diversionary tactics. He, he didn't say the same thing three days previous when, when West Brom had drawn 1-1 Anfield. See, that's, again, Kieran, it's an indication of how long we've been married that you answered a question I was about to ask you. That's very good. Well done. Um, on to questions, Kieran. And I'm aware, dear listeners, and you are, all of you, dear listeners, that the Free Kings are still following Yonder Star through Field and Fountain, Moor and Mountain. So for some of you, the holidays continue and you may still be playing the Price of Football drinking game. If so, get ready because there's a now Kieran coming up. And I know that's one of your favourites. Um, most of the drinking games, the phrases that Kieran originates, but now Kieran. Uh, I love the questions we get, Kieran. I generally really am intrigued and fascinated by the questions we get from all over the world covering a range of topics from impending financial disaster to this, our first question of 2021, which comes from Mark Ridley. And Mark Ridley's question is quite straightforward. How much does it cost to place an advertising hoarding on the perimeter of a pitch? Not an electronic one with a running dash hound, but a lower league club. Um, that really needs the words just asking for a friend, doesn't it? Uh, either, either that or Mark Ridley got an advertising token for Christmas and doesn't know. <laughs> so, yes, of all the questions we could have started 2021, we've said, how much? And I, I'm sorry I said that in a South London accent, but it, basically that was a very South London question. That's the sort of question where you take a fag out of the corner of your mouth and say, how much does it cost to place an advertising all in around your, around your pitch? I don't want to run in Daxon or anything, just <coughs> a straightforward cardboard one. How much does that cost him? So how much, how much is he going to set him back? Because obviously he's set up a new business and wants to advertise it. Well, um, unfortunately, the, the answer is it depends. I have asked one or two uh, people at clubs and they, they've been a bit coy. They, they didn't want to give the game away and and yeah you know, and we would of course have anonymized it um all that i understand is that in in the premier league uh speaking to one club that was recently promoted they said they can now charge 10 to 12 times the amount that they were charging in the championship oh wow really um and that's for their own adverts it's not the premier league do sell sell some of the adverts but what you have to do is that when you get to the premier league um one of the upgrades that, that all clubs are required to do it's the first time they get to the premier league is to agree to these led adverts because they're actually sold in 30 second slots oh um so you and if if you if you're looking um yeah, you've got the matches taking place and you will see those adverts changing on a regular basis. Um, and the, the amount that's charged actually varies depending upon the opposition. So if, if, if Palace are at home to Burnley, to, to mention a club that we've already covered, then you know, they, they wouldn't be able to, to get the same amount as, as when they're hosting Manchester United or Liverpool because especially in the international markets, and remember, and, and that's why we see so many of these adverts advertising uh, international products or, or, or companies from overseas, um, it, it is targeting domestic markets. And, and I've even seen now um, the, the advertisers are so clever that the the billboards where which are the LED will show different adverts uh, for, for different countries. So oh. if you if you're watching the match in Hong Kong, you will see different adverts to the ones that you are physically seeing at Selhurst. Uh, so there's, there's there's a lot of technology now going into this. Uh, but in terms of Mark's question, uh, for for the lower league clubs, um, it will depend upon whether or not the advertising hoardings are camera facing. Because uh, you know, matches are taking place behind closed doors, so there's no point in the adverts. But of course, we do have uh, the EFL's iFollow service, so so fans will be able to watch matches. Um, all, all when when I did speak to somebody, um, he, he did say effectively, whatever we're offered, we're, we're we're inclined to take at present because it's a buyer's market. Uh, we've not got fans at the ground. Uh, the numbers for iFollow aren't brilliant, uh, and therefore they they tend to have the the advertising arrangements on longer term deals because, of course, you need a sign writer to create the the the, the sort of the, the the wooden adverts or the, the metal adverts that go around the perimeter of the pitch. Um, and I think we're probably talking. You can get one. We're talking hundreds of pounds, not you know thousands or tens of thousands. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI powered workspace Notion. 
What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yeah, I, I missed the days when an advert for the best shirts in Croydon was at Sellers Park for about 25 years and was still in pounds, shilling and pence some decades after we <laughs> went. You've really confused me now as well by, by saying different countries can have different... I, I'm still baffled by whether the words on a cricket pitch are actually on the cricket pitch or on the TV screen. So now the idea that somebody in Hong Kong is seeing a different advert to somebody in America is... is it's very bizarre. And I, I think you've answered this question before, Kieran, but we've done 110 pods in 2020 alone, uh, and I had a lot of Calvados over Christmas. But what, <laughs> is it, does it work like TV advertising? Are advertising agencies phoning the clubs up individually and offering them adverts, or is there a central agency that's that's just sort of distributing adverts to clubs via the Premier League? There's there's both. Um, that the Premier League does have some central agreements, um, and that money is shared evenly between the uh, all twenty clubs. But the clubs are also uh, 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 entitled to um, do their own arrangements because they might have, uh, you know, some of their their personal sponsors will be saying, "Well, we we want to to do perimeter advertising for the club," and also, of course, you've got some perhaps slightly more local. Uh, advertisements as well so so it's a combination because they're sold in these 30 second slots it, it allows the clubs to mix and match mm. okay our second question of 2021 uh and i like saying 2021 just for the moment until it turns out that ironically 2021 is worse than 2020 i'm going to enjoy saying 2021 but it comes from gareth ludlow and gareth says with west ham paying off jack wilshire by allegedly giving him 85% of his remaining contract. What is the real saving there? It seems that they'd be better keeping him when the saving is so small, but are there other hidden savings such as insurances, bonuses, etc.? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, it frees up a squad place. Um, it, it, it frees up a place in the car park, Yeah, if, you know, if, you, if you're being crude about it. Um, and I, know that I, I do not want, because I, I've, I've seen Jack Wilshere on his day, and he's a fantastic player, it frees up a space in the physios room, so therefore, mm. it, you are going to be saving money on on benefits, um, you know, for health, for physio, if, if, if there's a company sponsored car and things of that nature. Uh, it, it does the club no favors to have a, a player who is on a long term injury, who's clearly unhappy. Um, and and that's just sort of it's, it's not good for the general karma around the club. Yeah, you know, the, the the players are sympathetic. There's no doubt about it. But um, there's only so many times you can say somebody, yeah, how are you progressing with the recovery? Yeah, things of this nature, and and it just makes things a bit awkward. So it it allows the club to uh, get to get with certainty, and and also means that presumably win bonuses and cup winning bonuses, and you know they know exactly what's going out in terms of Jack Wilshire's contract. Um, the, the downside for them is that if they were hoping to get any form of transfer fee for him in, in the January market, uh, clearly that's not going to be the case. Although 
I, I think they would have struggled given his his uh, his sad sad injury uh, history in, in recent years. Um, so they've gone down one particular route. At the same time, we've seen Manchester United go down the opposite route. They've got Jesse Lingard, um, and, and I. I can't remember the last time he played a Premier League game. His contract expires in six months and Manchester United have just extended his contract so that they could have paid him up in January. They've just given him an extra 12 months because they're hoping to get either a loan fee or a transfer fee for him in January. And as we've seen with the likes of Ross Barkley and, and uh, uh, yeah, other players, who 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 is it went was Ericsson went from Spurs to to Spain last year or Spurs to Italy last year in the, once you're in the last six months of your contract that the transfer fees tend to fall substantially so by extending Jesse Lingard's contract and I think they've done the same with Phil Jones they're still hoping to get a half decent fee for these players who who are actually probably younger than we realise um, so so it's it's a there's never a right answer for you know when you've got a player who's for whatever reason not going to be playing on a regular basis uh, and, and they're in that last six months of the contract. United Manchester United tends to extend contracts. West Ham have taken the opposite approach. Yeah, one of the funniest rants I ever heard in football came from the attendant at the players' car park at West Ham's old ground who just went absolutely bonkers as yet another squad player came in driving a giant SUV. Uh, and he just went, Billy Bond's going to got two and a half cars in that space. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to fit them all in. They're all just, why, why can't three of them come in the same car? It was very funny. Um, Phil Shortland has a question which is pertinent to, I'm guessing, a lot of our listeners, Kieran. Uh, Phil says, do you have an overview on what clubs are doing with season ticket receipts during the pandemic? Um there seems to be a range between keeping all the money and offering full refunds. Or there's the Palace way, which is offering refunds. Absolutely, 100%, definitely in your bank by the 15th of December. Cross my heart, Kev. Um, still waiting. So it's. I know we've discussed this at various stages during the, the pandemic, um, but what is your overview on what clubs are doing? Um, well, as, as sort of Phil Philip has intimated, there is a huge range. Some clubs have not asked for any payments from fans mm. because they were uncertain that they would be avail- they, they would be able to to offer them any tickets this year. We've seen some clubs um, take the full money and then start to offer. And I know at Brighton we've been given seventy five percent refunds, yeah. and they've said the rest. If if you're applying for tickets, you know, because we did start playing a couple of matches, yeah. the month will we'll effectively we'll just take. I think it worked out as cost me twenty seven quid com- coming out of the remainder of the money yeah, that was yeah, due yeah. back to me. So that yeah, you know, to me that seemed that seemed okay. Um, some clubs seem to have taken money and are being very very slow in terms of the returns. Uh, and I know again, Sheffield Wednesday, there's been issues there, and they say that they've been overwhelmed with the number of people. And it will arrive shortly. The, the trouble is, the word "shortly" is is not defined in law, so you, you can you can understand some fans getting a little bit irate. Other fans are saying, "Well, you know, we, we understand that uh, that clubs are in a very precarious financial position." So it, it does really vary depending upon the, the cash position of individual clubs. Some are in a stronger position than others. You know, if, if we've got Chelsea who are bankrolled by Abramovich, they're in a much stronger position than than other clubs uh, in, in the Premier League and the EFL. Mm. Uh, to be fair to Steve Parish uh, and Palace and other club owners. When the the new season started around September, it was a time of optimism and it was a time when the government were indicating that they expected fans to be allowed back in shortly. So it it wasn't a massive stretch of the imagination to to think that your money would be you know used to watch football games. And then Palace very quickly offered refunds. But part of the problem is, as with a lot of clubs, they almost gave us too many options. It's like you could have the money yourself or you could offer it to the academy or to the foundation. And I think people were slightly confused by that. But most clubs, I think, Kieran, on the cursory research I've done, have tried to do the, the right thing and acknowledge that people are struggling financially and that you will get the money. But as you say, if, if you've suddenly got 16,000 people asking for 
a proportion of money back. That's difficult. And also, I think other clubs, I mean, Palace are doing it. I think the first four games they're refunding, then waiting to see what happens before they decide what to do with the rest of the season, which, again, is not unreasonable. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we are still watching football. I appreciate we're watching it on television. And for that, you're going to need potentially a Sky subscription, an Amazon Prime subscription, a BT subscription. Um, But they're not getting the same amount of money coming in. Uh, players haven't taken pay cuts in, in the main. I think Arsenal are one of the very few that have done so in the Premier League. So, you know, the, the costs are still there. They've got COVID testing twice a week. Um, it looks like some of the players are doing the COVID testing at New Year's Eve parties, sadly. Yeah, well, was it? Um, yeah. Which doesn't, doesn't help football, things of that nature. Uh, we, we know it's a high-profile industry. So if you're going to do things like this, don't don't have your photograph taken with a group of other people. It just it beggars belief at times. Do you, yeah, um, do you know what, Kieran? I I I thought Palace's apology and Roy Hodgson's apology about Luka Milivojevic mixing with uh, Mitrovic on New Year's Eve was it, I thought it was a very good apology, but I would have taken it slightly more seriously if we'd actually dropped Luka for the game yesterday. I think that would have made more of a gesture, to be honest. I understand that Luca wanted to be with people who spoke his language on New Year's Eve. Uh, I, of course I do. We all, we understand why anybody wants to break the rules. But I, I think for a high-profile Premier League club, I would have slept easier if they said, no, we're dropping Luca for this game, even though he tested negative, apparently, on the morning of the game. But still, I think the apology would have had more impact if we'd said we'll drop him. Also, he's not been playing that well, so it would have been quite needful. <laughs> let's, be, let's be fair. That was a cracking goal from Ezo, though, wasn't it? Wasn't it a good goal? For, we, we weren't going to talk about football, Kieran, because it means I have to acknowledge through gritted teeth that your comeback was really good, which was at half-time, I thought I was on for the, the, the proper double. Palace winning unexpectedly and then you getting battered. But No, you yes, it, it was a great goal from Eze, but um, as usual with the BBC, it won't appear on match the uh, goal of the season or Indeed, goal of the month. But yeah, Dan Burns is probably having a little sleep today, I imagine, as well, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I wouldn't be opening up his social media accounts if I was him. (laughs) Happy New Year from the sponsor of this episode of The Price of Football, our below-the-waist grooming partner, Manscaped. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and is here to help you have clean balls in the new year. Kieran, I, I think both of our balls are clean all year round, but it's essential that they're clean for the new year, Kieran, isn't it? It, it certainly is, Kevin. Um, and, and uh, you know, it is new year. I, I've just been taking down the Christmas decorations and, and I've noticed that all my baubles are smooth from the Christmas tree. So I've decided to replicate that with, with my own. Um, and I couldn't do that unless I'd manscaped uh, here to, to give myself a New Year's resolution that uh, I fully intend to keep. And I'd recommend our listeners consider this as well. Um, if you go for the perfect package 3.0, uh, it's it's for below the waist activity uh, and it will help you start off the year pretty strong. And um, you'll get the Lawn Mower 3.0, which is your trimming device that will help you to come out of quarantine with cleaner balls. Um, and and if, you're, if you're worried and if you've not done this type of thing before, I fully understand. Uh, it's waterproof, so you can do it in the shower. And it's, uh, it's skin safe. So you know, if you're worried about nicking your two best friends, rest in peace on that. Um, it's got a third generation trimmer. So if, if you're going for, for careful grooming down there, it even shines a light. Um, and shining light on your testicles in 2021 could be one of the most exciting things we do during quarantine. So uh, yeah, I thoroughly recommend that. And if you want to freshen things up down there, um, they've got uh, the Crop Preserver. It's an anti-chafing ball de- de- deodorant and moisturiser. And if you want the uh, for, for, for freshness down there, um, we've got Ball Toner Spray, which, uh, which these guys have referred to as the Crop Reviver. Um, so start the new year with a fresh set of testes, thanks to Manscaped. Well said, Kieran. Uh, if you or a friend want the besties for your testes, go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping using the code Price of Football. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. go that was a little word from our sponsors manscaped and uh, it's very lovely to have them back here and although i would like to point out that your 
your nether regions can be hairy and clean. That's yes. that's, that's the look I go for. Um, and uh, our first question... Like you the hair on top of your head, really, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is, Ken. Yeah, there's, there's all sorts of parallels to be made. Uh, our, uh, and Aaron Dixon gets the privilege of being the first question after a Manscaped ad of 2021. Uh, Aaron, if you thought that your name starting with two A's made you a shoe-in for first question of the year, I apologise. Producer guy doesn't work like that. Um, Aaron's question is quite a simple one. Is the Leeds United Adidas deal UK-specific? Because there seems to be no mention of Leeds on other Adidas sites outside the UK. No, no, it, it is uh, it, it is, it is a global deal. I, I think the problem is, is that if you look at a company which is as big as Adidas, um, if they are looking to stock kits, and and, and they remember they they do many club kits in different domestic countries, and they do many types of international kits. So, yeah, the, the Germany kit, the France kit, and, and so on, the Belgium kit, that those will be stocked in in many different countries. Um, I, I I don't want to disrespect Leeds because they do have a very good fan base and they do have a very international fan base, but if you are looking at this from a logistics point of view. Um, and let, let's say that you are the uh, the, the Thailand uh, branch of Adidas. What you need to have is every kit size, and you need you know half a dozen of each um, as a bare minimum. Um, so you've got you know boys, small, medium, large, extra large, two XL, and so on. So you need the whole range of sizes. So that's going to need you to have forty or fifty shirts. Are you going to sell that? And and you've got the other shirts which are. Um, for more high-profile clubs who are in the Adidas canon that are flying off the shelves. So um, it's it's simply a reflection that whilst domestically, I, I think uh, uh, Leeds United have a fantastic fan base from a from a kit manufacturer's point of view, that doesn't necessarily translate in, into bigger numbers um, in terms of the global market. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, if, if you are a... You know, if you are in Thailand or Australia or even in the US, you know, I, 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 I'm, well, I used to travel all over the world on a regular basis teaching before before COVID, and I and I go into sports stores because it's for, you know you're hoping to see things. There's not a lot of in the US. There's not a lot of shirts for football because they've got their domestic sports. You know, they've got the basketball shirts. They've got they've got all of their sort of uh, running gear and, and, and other sports. So therefore, they're actually quite fussy as to what they do show. And it will be Manchester United, and it will be you know Milan, and it will be uh, you know the, the other major clubs as well. And, and Leeds aren't quite there yet in terms of uh, market penetration. Well, someone's going to get tweets from Leeds fans tomorrow, isn't he? Uh, and it won't be me because I kept silent throughout that thing. Uh, but well done again because you used the word penetration and you carried on like an adult. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> unlike me of course who pointed it out Simon West Happy New Year Simon Simon West has a new angle on a recent subject of discussion uh, and Simon points out quite rightly a lot more transfers are being made with staggered payments and this got Simon wondering what happened to those payments if the buying club then sells the player before those payments are due so do they just pay them as planned or can they be part of the new transfer deal. So I suppose an example of that would be when Man United bought Aaron Wan-Bissaka on instalments from us. If they'd sold him to Barcelona before they paid, uh, we paid them the last, or they paid us the last instalment rather, uh, which is just an example, what, what would then happen? So that's quite an interesting question, actually. Yeah, um, th- this would very much be determined on a, on a contract by contract basis. If I was the legal representative of of Palace when they were selling Wambasaka, I would have made sure that I'd inserted into into the contract a clause: is that should the player be sold before the final payment is due, then that auto, that payment automatically crystallizes at the date of of sale to Barcelona or Real or wherever he ends up. So um, it, uh, here, I think a good lawyer would ensure that. The, the initial club uh, gets some of the, the benefits of, of, of a subsequent sale, but it's not guaranteed. Um, there's no such thing these days, I think, as a standard contract. Uh, if, if you do ever get to see football contracts in, in terms of player sales and, and um, a few agents send me them at times, that they, they go on and on um, and, and they are very detailed. But I, I think 
you know, and any club that is selling a player, especially if you're a young player, who a player who is likely to appreciate in value, would insert that as a standard clause. Now, we talked, Kieran, uh, very early on in this pod, the first pod of the new year, about Sunderland and the size of Sunderland. And Tom Williams has a really interesting question, I think, and it's an angle we've not fully explored. Tom Williams says, as a Sunderland fan, we are frequently told by our owners that we have the biggest budget in League One. However, with a 48,000-seater stadium, we clearly also have the biggest costs. So with COVID, match day costs are being saved, but there's an option worldwide for fans to watch the game for £10. Could it be that for a club with a fan base the size of Sunderland, we could therefore actually increase match day income because you're 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 not you know having the match day cost stewards, police, catering, etc. But you could sell a hundred thousand ten pound tickets a game, couldn't you, and therefore make money? Um in in theory, um I I'd agree with Tom. Um in in practice, uh if, if we take a look at iFollow, remember that ten pounds includes VAT, so you knock off the VAT then the EFL are entitled to to a, sh- a share for their organisation. So I, th- I don't think the clubs are making £10 per ticket. Um, and remember, when you are watching one of these matches on television, it's, it's £10 for everybody that's watching that screen. So oh. if I was a Sunderland fan based in the US, yeah. at where they are, let's say, slightly more relaxed with regards to social gathering than we are here in the UK... I'd have all my fellow Sunderland mates around and we'll all watch it around one person's house. Mm. You know, if, if, you know, you can even do that in the garden if you want to do a bit more social distancing and things of that nature. Um, so to actually sell 100,000 passes for matches that are taking place in League One, I, I think would be quite challenging. But we have seen um, certainly some of the clubs that have big away followings, such as Sunderland, uh, Portsmouth, Ipswich, if, if you drop into League Two, the likes of Bolton and so on, um, they've actually made quite decent amounts of money when their teams have been playing away because the the fans who would normally turn up for a home match, they say, well, we will pay a, a tenner. Um, and remember, we've sort of said in general, uh, the, the away team tends to get a slice of the money um, if if they sell more than five hundred tickets uh, in, in for, for these I follow arrangements, so there is some money to be made, but I still think it will be substantially less than from physically hosting a game. Because yes, there will be some cost savings, but remember, you've still got to go and pay to mow the grass. You've still got to go pay to to have uh, sort of COVID protocols as the players come in and out. You've got to pay for the electricity, for the floodlights and things of this nature. So the, the marginal costs which are being saved are perhaps not as great as, as people realise. And clubs make a lot of money from hospitality on match day. You know, Sunderland is, Sunderland is, a, is a, the Stadium of Light is a... Uh, a relatively modern stadium. I, mean, I, I, I can remember going to Roker Park. Well, it was cold up there, wasn't it? It, it was. It was cold. Not as cold as Oldham. Oldham for me is still the worst. Uh, still, uh, the- well, they, they, uh, Oldham fans claim it's officially the coldest ground in the country. How they work that out, I don't know. But it's a pr- proud boast, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to deny them that. Well, I, I, on, on all I can on anecdotal experience, I, I'd agree with them uh, it, because it's it, it's not sheltered, shall we say especially in the away end. Yeah, the um, problem is, though, Kieran, that us fancy Dan Southerners used to turn up at away games here in T-shirts, didn't we? That's Because nobody told us it got colder the further north we went, and we never learnt. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's, the, it, it's the sort of the, the alcohol overcoat yeah. that you're relying on for 90 minutes, and, and sometimes that doesn't last long enough, I would imagine. Yeah, I'd still, I'd still vote Carlisle as the coldest... Right. Yes. Yeah. I've been to Carlisle in August, and that was yeah. that was grim. Even though we won three nil. Yeah. Um, did we ask that? Yes, we answered that question. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we did. Yes. So, um, question. I mean, theoretically, he's he's. If you could sell a hundred thousand ten pound passes a game, theoretically, it's Tom's actually quite right, isn't he? Yeah. I, I think it will be a challenge to to sell that number of of passes because. Yeah, there are ways around it, shall we say. Everybody knows that you can get these things pirated and things of this nature, which, you know, is something we don't condone. Um, but, uh, you know, and also from, from if you're looking at it from an international perspective, um, 
if, if I'm a if, if I'm a football fan in the US, I can get a an NBC Gold pass for I think it cost me fifty dollars a year yeah, or something. It's, it's very very cheap. So why pay ten pounds a match to go and watch? matches from two divisions further down the table now our final question today comes from matt shepherd and it's a two-part question so well done for paying attention matt i've said recently that it's always a good way of getting a question asked a two-parter uh the question is about footballers wages and it takes us right back to show one kieran because uh, matt says as players wages are always quoted on a weekly basis do they actually get paid on a weekly basis and the second part of the question, is there a benefit to clubs from a cash flow perspective in paying out a huge amount of wages weekly rather than a colossal amount of wages once a month? Uh, well, this, this does go back to our sort of very first show when, when we, we discussed this very issue. Um, this, is a, this is a cultural and historical issue uh, in terms of, of football in this country. Um, when football turned professional, it was to allow club owners to to take working men out of the factories on a weekly basis. So therefore, they were replacing people who had historically been paid weekly for for working in in you know, Remember, football really started in sort of the in the northern working class uh, industrial towns. It was taking them out of of the factories and bringing them in to play football. So therefore, they had to go and pay them weekly because they would have simply refused to have waited a month. Um, and it's also a sort of from a cultural point of view, it's it's reminding us as football fans that we are oiks and we are blue collar. Yeah. Blue collar people get paid on a weekly basis historically, although that doesn't tend to be the case as, as often these days, of course. Um, and middle class white collar people have salaries instead of wages and salaries are paid on a monthly basis and salaries are quoted on an annual figure. So you know, we talk about the how much the chief executives of football clubs earn and we talk about Daniel Levy getting seven million pounds from Spurs in, in 2019 as his annual we don't talk about Harry Kane's annual salary you say well Harry Kane's on 250 grand a week it's it's this constant very subtle slightly insidious yeah. reminder of you are working class background people in, in the main, and we're going to keep reminding you of doing that. So, so that's why they tend to be quoted in wages. Physically, they are always paid on a monthly basis. Right, okay. um, so you know, I, I can confirm this having spoken to, to a number of clubs, um, because it's, it's a lot easier to do a monthly payroll than a weekly payroll. From a cash flow point of view, it really doesn't make a huge amount of it, a difference, because if we take a look at the the main sources of revenue for clubs, we've got broadcast income, which is paid two or three times a year. Um, so there's, there's a big amount that paid in the summer and there's a few top ups over the year. And then there's a final payment based on the number of times you've been on TV and your final league position. So the, the money coming in is, is erratic. We've then got ticket sales. Well, ticket sales tend to be an awful lot in advance as well. You think about when you pay for your season ticket, most people pay for that in advance, or they pay on a direct debit on a monthly basis rather than a weekly. So therefore, that sort of matching money coming in and out. Sponsors tend to pay two or three installments over the year. So again, it doesn't really make a difference uh, if clubs are paying wages uh, weekly. So there's, there's there's no... major cash there's a tiny cash flow advantage for for anything when you spread things in four instead of one but that's probably offset by the fact that you'd have to run payroll on a more regular basis anyway Hmm. well thank you for listening everybody if you've got any questions for next monday's questions pod uh, about the price of football or the salary of football it's questions at priceoffootball.com and we'll be back on thursday with our first news pod Uh, of 2021 but if you're a Charlton fan you can ask a question on Thursday because we will be talking to club owner Thomas Sangard um, which is an interview it took some time to arrange not because he didn't want to do it he was very keen to but just getting a a convenient time for him rather than us Uh, but we thought it would be easier to ask Charlton fans to ask Thomas Sangard questions rather than us asking the usual things about his favourite fruit and where he's from, etc. So, again, that's questions at priceoffootball.com. And I'm looking forward to that interview, Kieran, as much as any interview I've looked forward to because that's a a situation that really needs unravelling and that will genuinely be straight from the horse's mouth, won't it? 
Yes, yes. Uh, I think Charlton have had a uh, a roller coaster year in in so many ways. Um, we, we've seen the good and the bad of football, uh, but it does seem that uh, that uh, Thomas has now uh, got his feet under the table. So I think I think it will be fascinating to hear what he what he's got to say. Um, and if you get those questions into us, uh, you know, ideally by Tuesday night because we'll be recording the show on. Wednesday, I think, mm. uh, to go out uh, on the Thursday. That would be that would be absolutely cosmic. Yeah, and also I'm looking forward to finding out whether he sounds as cool as he looks. <laughs> he, he does look so rock and roll, doesn't, doesn't he? Just. All right. Um, stay safe, everybody. Happy New Year to you all. Bye, kids. Bye, son, for the